I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Years ago, when my daughter was about 15, she settled on a Lenten discipline of giving everything that she earned babysitting during Lent to the church on Easter Sunday. Now, you can tell that that was a while ago because parents were still willing to leave their children with the neighborhood 15-year-old while they went out with friends. But she babysat a lot. And so on Holy Saturday, she came to me with a fistful of bills, and she said, what do I do with this? It seems like a lot of bills to put in the plate all at once tomorrow morning. I don't care that they know that I gave it, but I do want to figure out how to, to give it properly. How much is it? $287. Now, those were late $90. That would be kind of like putting $475 in the offering plate today. And it was a lot of bills. It represented all of her spending money for those seven weeks or so of Lent. We paid for all the essential school fees, tuition, clothing, sports fees, insurance. But our kids did not get an allowance just for walking around money. If they wanted to hang around with their friends at the mall, they had to earn that money. So she was giving away all of her fun money. When her dad heard about it, he was really impressed. And he told her that he would offer her a dollar for every one that she gave to the church. And I found her in her room later in tears. What's wrong, sweetheart? I don't, I don't want dad's money. It wouldn't be the same. I worked hard for that money, and I want to give it because I've been given so much. It was my commitment for Lent, and I wanted it to be a sacrifice. And if dad gives it all back to me, then it won't feel like I did anything, and it won't feel like it was a gift. Her dad kept his money. And we had a quiet moment of pleasure in seeing one of our children develop a heart for generosity and gratitude. Here's another story. At the church I served in Illinois, we did like we do here, and we asked people to come and give a talk about their relationship with the church, their faith journey, and giving during stewardship season. One year, we invited the youngest couple in the church. They were very young compared to everybody else. They were maybe 25 or 26 years old, and they had what could be called a complicated relationship with Christians and the church. Other leaders in other churches had manipulated them and abused their authority over them. But they'd found a home in this church, and they had worked hard to get involved and to contribute. And they were also broke. I don't mean a little short on cash. I mean struggling to figure out how to eat, much less to pay rent or buy gas, the kind of broke that meant most meals came from a big bag of beans and a big bag of rice. Like we are this year, we were asking the congregation 
to think really hard about their commitment to the parish and to make a step, big step up so that we could grow. The stewardship chair and I had asked this couple to speak because we expected them to talk about how they had found a home and Christians who made a safe place for them. It was one of the charisms of that parish that they took in the wounded and the healed, or the, and the wounded rather, and healed them and helped them to find their faith again. We thought it would be good for other people in the parish to be reminded of how their Christian witness had changed lives. When they stood up to talk, they certainly did talk about how they'd found a safe place in the parish. It was powerful. And people were surprised that welcoming this young couple had made such a difference in their lives. And then they went somewhere that surprised us all. They talked about how they had been struggling with the fact that there was so little that they could give to the parish. But they had come up with a solution. They had combed through their budget and come up with the one thing that they could give. The one treat that they allowed themselves was the occasional fancy drink at Starbucks, but never a venti since that cost too much money. It was a very occasional treat and the one sweet treat they had. In order to have the money to contribute to the ministry of the church, they gave that up. The 10 or $15 a month that they managed to scrape together was a sacrificial gift, and I never, ever saw it come in without thinking that we had to be incredibly careful with every single dime of it. Now, this year in our stewardship campaign, we have asked you to pray about what God is calling you to give in this coming year. We've asked you to take a further step towards giving a consistent percentage of your income and perhaps even a full tithe or 10%. In the stewardship packet that you should have received Friday or yesterday, we've tried to be completely transparent about how we use your gifts at Good Shepherd. As I said to you last week in the sermon and in the letter in the packet, I am proud of how careful we are with your gifts. Now in 2020 and 2021, we added staff and programming that helps us engage the community and that helps us provide enhanced care and communication for those who are here. The fruit of those efforts is all around you. Take a look around you. I bet you don't have to look further than the end of your pew or maybe the pew behind you to see new faces that have become part of our community. Take a look at the programs that are highlighted in your stewardship brochure. Take a look at our website and our newsletter. Take a look at our building. Take a look at the TV monitors that feature programs and outreach. All around you there are new and fresh and growing things. And the last thing we want to do is start trimming all of that back and pulling in on ourselves. Now, I know that for some of us, the changes have been hard. There are lots of people out there who really just don't like change. 
One of the things, though, that the search committee and the vestry were really clear about when they called me was that for more than 10 years before I got to Good Shepherd, the size of the congregation and the budget had not changed. When a church hits a plateau like that, it isn't a sign of health. Good Shepherd needed to grow. Churches are a little bit like tomato plants. Now, if you aren't a gardener, you may not know this, but if you are, you will know that when a tomato plant stops putting out new growth, it stops producing fruit and it dies. The, pan the churches do that do not change stop growing and they do not bear new fruit. The pandemic only increased our need to make changes if this parish was to flourish on the other side. Now, at this morning at the piece, I'm going to ask you to do this. Move far enough along your pew, or maybe even out of it, to say good morning to one of the new people here, one of the people that you don't already know. Because change is hard but it's working, and I want you to see that. Now, last week, I asked you to pray about three things that you thought about, or that when you thought about your commitment to Good Shepherd for the coming year. And I devoutly hope that you have turned to Christ in prayer and asked him what he is calling you to do. Now, here are the three things I asked you to pray about. First, how are you going to commit to growing in your faith and your spiritual life in the coming year? There are key things that you can do to grow in this way. One, you can commit to participating in worship more regularly. Now, you know, I know there was something really nice about staying home and watching worship, or maybe not watching worship, but staying home in your jammies with a cup of coffee. That was kind of nice, wasn't it? Well, you maybe can't wear your jammies, but there is coffee in Herlong Hall. And being here, singing together, receiving the body and blood of Jesus, all work together to transform you and deepen your faith. And if Good Shepherd is to move forward into the future in strength, we will need a congregation that is committed to worship every single week. The next thing you can do is to develop a habit of prayer, like everyday prayer. The earliest instruction manuals for Christians made it really easy. Say the Lord's Prayer three times a day, morning, noon, and night. That's a great place to begin. Pray every single day. And the third thing that you can do to, to increase your spiritual life is study and conversation with other Christians. We have all sorts of Bible studies and study groups here at Good Shepherd. Check the website. There's certain to be one that you would enjoy being part of. And if you don't see one, let's start one. 
Study and spiritual conversation help us all to find ways to connect our faith to our lives in real and vital ways. And if you have young people in your house, they need to be in some sort of formation. I'm going to be really blunt here. A child that is in church only once a month or every six weeks will never, ever learn what it means to be a Jesus follower. If you never talk about your faith at home, if you never read the Bible to your children, if they never see you pray, if coming to church is the last thing on your Sunday priority list, you will have taught your children that none of this is important. And they will, without a doubt, give the whole faith and church thing a giant miss. Can your family be here every week? Because it's really, really important. The second thing that I asked you to pray about was about how you're going to make your faith real in action. As St. James instructed the earliest Christians, faith without works is dead. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. There are ways to help, and our bodies need to be involved in our service to the God. If you need help knowing how you might serve in our community, ask me. Our Kingdom Work Committee has all sorts of ideas, and I will happily point you to one of them and a project that you can be a part of. The third thing that I ask you to pray about last week is what God is calling you to give to Good Shepherd through the end of this year and in 2022. In 2021, several of our largest pledgers more than doubled what they were giving to the church. This is how much they believe in what we're doing here. However, the rest of us cannot rely on somebody else to make up the budget. Now, I get it. There are mortgages and braces and school fees and planning for college, and some of us are even retired. It's really hard. I know that. I had three children, and all of them ended up, despite our best efforts, at private colleges. <laughs> it's expensive. But the giving of gifts that we have been given is not simply about keeping the lights on in the church. Most importantly, it is about recognizing that everything we have been given comes originally from God. Now, I know I've told you before about a parishioner who got really angry with me years ago when I started talking about the spiritual side of giving. Let's get one thing really clear, he said. God didn't have anything to do with what I've got. I did it all myself. That sort of attitude doesn't really inspire a spirit of generosity or the eyes to see the needs of people in front of you. What a contrast there is between that attitude and the attitude of a parishioner who, with a rather bemused look recently, said to me, you know, I've been surprised. When you really start giving your money away, it turns out you don't miss it nearly as much as you thought you would. 
Now, my late brother-in-law was a wonderful man, but he used to tell Father Fred on a regular basis how much he hated it that the churches were always asking for money. If you've read the Dave test, you know what I'm talking about. My brother-in-law was a Baptist, and Baptists in general give a lot more on average than other Christians, and they complain about it a lot less. He didn't begrudge the staff their salaries. He understood that the church needed that staff to do the ministry he wanted them to do. He understood about maintaining a building and keeping the lights on. He absolutely believed in serving the community, and he had given away a lot of free medical care over the years. He just didn't like being asked to give, especially because if somebody asked him, he would either have to do so or he was going to feel really uncomfortable, and he didn't want to feel uncomfortable. He wasn't very much like, or very much different, rather, than other people when it came to this score. So here's the deal. Our ministry budget for the coming year is $795,000. Let's all of us pretend we're Baptists this morning and raise all of it in one fell swoop. When we sit down with the pledge cards, let it all be there. And then the conversations about keeping staff on board and the lights on and the building repaired, that can all go away. And then if we ask you for money, it's going to be for the really fun stuff, the wonderful stuff. It's going to be for buying chickens and livestock for poor families in Latin America. It's going to be for sending a medical mission to Ecuador or raising funds to support the homeless ministries here in Nashville or even for working to end human trafficking in Tennessee. All that sort of stuff. We're going to pass out pledge cards for those of you who forgot them after communion. Pray about what God is calling you to give and let's pretend we're Baptists. What do you say? I think we can do it. How about you? Amen.